Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Dan, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC 243, Robert Whitaker versus Israel Adesanya. And Shaq is going down this Saturday in Melbourne, Australia. The middleweight championship is on the line and one man's going to walk away, the undisputed middleweight champion of the world. It's good to see the champ, Robert Whitaker, back. We haven't seen him in a long time. He was supposed to fight Kelvin Gastelum at the last Australian pay-per-view card. And now his opponent, Israel, who uh, took his main event spot there, is going to be his opponent now. And this has been a showdown in the making for a long time. Israel thinks Rob's a fake Kiwi. Rob, uh, early on, he did say, you know, he said Israel's not as good as he thinks he is and this and that. So I'm glad to see these two, uh, the adopted Australian uh, Adesanya against... Uh, adopted Kiwi. Uh, adopted Kiwi Adesanya against uh, the adopted Aussie and, uh, <laughs> and uh, Whitaker. So I'm, uh, I'm excited to see these guys settle their uh, differences. Man, I love the back and forth because uh, Adesanya called Robert a fake Kiwi, and Robert's like, well, if I'm a fake Kiwi, what does that make him? <laughs> you know what I mean? So I love the back and forth, and you know for a fact when those two get in there, it's going to take a lot for one of those men to shoot for a takedown, in my opinion, Shaq. Yeah, I mean, Israel's ground game's been getting a lot better like we saw in his last fight against Kelvin, had him in and out of some triangles there, and Whitaker, we know that uh, he's beaten the likes of Jacques Ray before, Rafael Natal, he's been a, a list of black belts before, so uh, his grappling... Shouldn't be slept on either. I mean, not only has he beat black belts, he's beat Olympic wrestlers yeah. like my boy uh, Yoel Romero. So he's definitely got a resume on him. But when you talk about Israel Adesanya, every champion was once a contender. And, and this kid, uh, he's taking the UFC by storm. I mean, he made his UFC debut early last year, man. He's barely been in the UFC two full years. And he's already got the chance to become the undisputed champion. And I have a feeling if he wins this fight, he's going to be one of the biggest superstars in the sport. Yeah, so everyone that each fight keeps on saying this is too much. They thought Anderson might possibly be a little bit too much. They, you know, Kevin Gastelum, we thought it might, uh, this might be his first old time. And he just keeps passing every test. They fast-tracked this guy because they felt like he was ready for it. And he's proven, uh, proven a lot of people wrong along the way. Whitaker, he's in a little different spot. We know, we know the old Rob, the guy that beat Romero twice. But we do know that the second one, in some people's eyes, was controversial. We know that there was a lot of damage sustained on both sides. Some people think that both guys might not never be the same after a fight like that so i'm interested to see how he looks after this extensive layoff in which he uh had to go to a hospital for an emergency you know i forget what hernia it was. hernia you know what i'm saying so and there's been some other injuries along the way so two guys in different spots i'm interested to see how it plays out and i mean they talk about the two yoel wars but you and i were front row for the israel versus kelvin gastelum war so you know it's not like israel Desanya didn't get his chin checked uh in April in Atlanta, Georgia, because he definitely oh, yeah. did. He fought a guy with an 100% knockdown rate, and he had to come back from the knockout. And for a guy that was only in a fight with kind of a different type of fight with Anderson Silva, you know, I, I don't want to say it was a, even say it was a fight. It was just more of a exhibition you know, match. An exhibition match, you know, a, a show for the fans. <laughs> a show for the fans. And you know, his f prior fights were only against Brunson, fringe top ten guys like Brunson and uh, Brad Tavares and Marvin Vittori. So I mean, this guy, they that's a tough test when you really think about it. Vittori, Brad Tavares. Brunson, I mean, those guys are no slouches, man. Yeah, those are guys that uh, Robert Whitaker knocked out <laughs> yeah. in the first round. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah. besides Vittori. Those are the same guys that Rob beat on his way to the title <laughs> yeah, shot. So. <laughs> I can't wait to see what happens. And, man, another cool thing is the environment that's going to be going down there because, as you know, Marvel Stadium is going to be 40,000 people. This is a soccer stadium we're talking about. This is not just an arena. You know, when we went to State Farm Arena to see Max versus Dustin and Israel versus Kelvin, that was, what, 10,000 people, 15,000 people, 20 if we're being lucky. 
40,000 plus people are going to be in attendance this Saturday night or Sunday if you're in Australia, Shaq. Yeah, everybody and their mama is going to be there. So I'm sure the, the Australian slash Kiwis are going to be fighting with a lot of emotions. You know, I'm sure, you know, their entire families are going to be there. Well, we're going to break down this whole car start to finish. But before we do that, we just got to let everyone know about our newest sponsor, Flav. For all your CBD product, make sure you visit FlavCBD.com, man. Man, uh, it's so awesome to be on board with a company with a lot of like-minded individuals, and we just love their products and the kind of stuff that Flav have. I mean, obviously, you guys already know about the pens and the vapes and this and that, but what about CBD gummies? What about sunscreen? What about uh, salve? I mean, they literally have everything you could have for any needs you might need, Shaq. Yeah, you know, anytime you need to unwind from a, a stressful day, you know, go ahead and, uh, you know, you're a little sore from work or sore from what, for training for, for whatever you're doing, you know. Go ahead and throw some of that Flavor X on you. Baby mama's arguing and complaining and just go ahead and eat a whole pack of gummies. So, you know, <laughs> to make you buzzed out. So Flavor X is the way to go. Yeah, we love Flav. Go to FlavCBD.com. And also, if you're in Cali, you know, if uh, we ain't just talking CBD no more, if the THC is legal where you're from, go to Flav Inc. Because uh, they can do something for you there. But make sure you go where it's legal. For everywhere else, the CBD products are absolutely incredible. If you're sore from jujitsu, if you're a little bit stressed out about the fights this weekend what bets you're gonna make this is the best way to calm down in my opinion and it tastes amazing I mean, when we talk about these gummies we're talking about blueberry we're talking about mango cotton candy green apple the whole bit so they got you covered make sure you go to flavinc.com go to flavcbd.com and uh, let them know half the battle sent you well Shaq Let's break down this whole card start to finish because first up in the Bantamweight division, we got Khalid Taha. He's 13-2 and two, and Bruno Bulldog Silva is 11-3. and three. Currently, they got Khalid Taha minus 235 and Bruno Bulldog is plus 195. Well, Shaq, uh, Khalid Taha, he's one of these guys that if he hits you clean on the chin, chances are you might go to sleep. I would say he is one of the hardest hitting Bantamweights on the roster currently, but when you're talking about a guy in Bruno Silva, he moved in with Henry Cejudo two years ago. He's gone under his wing, and now he feels like he's ready to make that UFC debut. Do you think he has what it takes to come out here as a two-to-one dog and defeat the very hard-hitting Kali Taha? Taha, he's a strong, hockey, compact, 135-pounder. Like you said, he's got the power like we saw in his last fight. If you ain't ready to go right off the bat and you stand in front of him, he might knock you unconscious like uh, he did Boston Salmon in, in the ATL. I mean, that was a face-first uh, KO. You know, I know Boston was upset about the, the stoppage, but I mean... He was uh he was seeing stars. I, I saw them bring out the smelly salts. <laughs> you know, he was seeing stars and Taha, even in his fight before that, when he was up a weight class at 145 pounds against Nad Naramani, who I think is about three and one in the UFC, if I'm not mistaken. So he showed uh, he had a good showing in that fight, to be honest. I mean, yeah, he got taken down, he got held down by the much bigger guy. And that is a weakness in his game, but hey, this guy shows you that he can inflict a lot of damage with his punches. I mean, Nad's nose was leaking blood. His mouth was leaking blood. And anytime you stand in front of him, uh, you know, against Khalid Taha, be very careful because his power is, uh, like you said, on probably on the upper totem pole for Bantamweights, you know. So now he's in here with Bruno Silva, a newcomer, a guy that's paid his dues. This guy suffered a vicious KO loss by a head kick in Brazil back in the day. And after that fight, he, like you said, he moved to AZ. He's been uh, staying with the, the fight ready team and Henry Cejudo, Eric Albersin. And he's become their one of their brothers, man. He, he's walking around with Henry Cejudo and Paulo Costa in, uh, in Australia yeah. as we speak. So this guy is surrounded by the great people. I, I know you guys have known I've got nothing but good things to say about the fight ready Neurofor 
Force One team. I mean, for the most part, all their fighters been been uh, looking pretty good lately. You know, you got Patricio, he's a champ champ. You got Costa, Henry Cejudo, that kid Hunter Azor. But Tricky's uh, looking better Patricio's than ever. Tricky's looking better than ever. Tracy Cortez is on her Between way. Between you Jakar and me, fight. Bobby Muffet looked the best Bobby he ever Muffet had. Bobby Muffet looked good. So I'm really high on that gym. Eric Albersine, you know, the whatever uh, strength and conditioning programs are doing over there, it's working out. So Bruno Silva, we haven't seen him for a long time. He's been out for, what, about uh, over a year. So there's a good chance with uh, all that working at NeuroForce One with the Fire Ready team that he's got a whole new, not, I don't say a whole new set of skills, but maybe he's just a lot more efficient than what you've seen on tape you know he was kind of showing signs in the second to last fight of some new footwork that he usually doesn't use he comes from pitbull brothers in uh in brazil you know maybe uh he's been working with that karate coach so i feel like there is a good chance that bruno silva is a, comes a lot better than people see on tape the thing is he does have the habit of uh, keep, uh keeping his chin up in the air you know back in the day when he fought casey kinney and an lfa he was arguably up two rounds going into the third round and then you know just the repetitive habit uh, habit of keeping his chin up in the air casey was finally able to catch him and he was able to wobble and you know have a dominant third round leading to a draw so as long as bruno's been making improvements on this i do see this fight playing out a little closer than the line but i gotta slightly lean khalid taha because although i think bruno's the black belt he's got the jujitsu skills and we've seen taha make mistakes on the mat against 23 and 13 jabs in which he got submitted but you know i attributed that to a little bit of ricky moves he just uh it happens man he was whooping up on the guy he got a little tired and when he went to his back when he was tired got tapped out i've just never seen bruno silva implement that game plan for three rounds i still think there he's a, a little bit of a mystery in a sense but i think you know in terms of the grappling defense of taha look he's been training at one of the best camps you can train at aka to to address that issue and i think that's an issue that that can definitely be resolved for a guy like this. So I'll pick Khalid Taha by a, a tough decision. Man, I'm very excited for this fight. So with Khalid Taha, like we already mentioned, one of the hardest hitters at Bantamweight, and now that he's training at AKA, I do expect to see some improvements. But historically speaking, what Khalid Taha has always been known for is outside the UFC, he gets taken down every single fight. And he's known for coming back and knocking the guys out. Well, in that UFC debut, granted it was at featherweight, there wasn't any uh, getting back up and knocking the guy out. It was uh, getting grinded out for three straight rounds. Even two fights before that UFC debut uh, versus uh, Otsuka in Ryzen. You're not supposed to lo you're not supposed to lose to a guy like Otsuka uh, inside the distance. You know, he was supposed to go out there and starch that guy in the first round in my opinion at least. So, I definitely want to see more improvements from Kali Taha on the mat. And not to mention, I think the only reason he's, you know, close to a two and a half to one favorite here is because of a what, a 20 second knockout over Boston Salmon. Look, I picked Salmon, but we said the only way Khalid Taha can win that fight is via knockout. He got it in the first 20 seconds. We have no clue what would have happened if that fight was extended. Not to mention, Boston Salmon was out there fighting with his hands down. And if you heard Boston Salmon's interviews leading up to that fight, he said that, I mean, basically even after I picked him, I heard his interview and he's saying stuff like, I don't even care what happens in this fight. I was like, oh my God, facepalm. So, and then he got starched in 20 seconds. What do you expect? Well, you know who does care about what's going to happen? Bruno Bulldog Silva. And, you know, we can sit here and talk about how, oh, he lives with Henry. Therefore, he's a new man, this and that. And, and you know, that's all 
that's all talk. That's all speculation. But the evidence I have is you watch that fight in that Brazil regional scene. Actually, let's take it back a little bit further. You watch his fights on the Ultimate Fighter. First one, you know, you can kind of see the potential. He goes out there, breaks some dude's jaw with a front kick to the face. Next fight, he takes on a guillotine specialist who's won over 10 fights via guillotine. He gets caught by him. This is a long time ago. Goes back to the Brazilian regional scene. Even had a 16-second knockout loss, a vicious one. One where if you watch that, you're like, man, this guy, there's no way in hell he'll ever make it to the UFC. Well, Talk about putting your head down and grinding because uh, that guy that was coming off that 16-second knockout loss, he goes in there with Casey Kenny, who's undefeated in the UFC, by the way, and he goes to a draw with Casey Kenny in LFA, and I watched the fight. Even, you know, you might want, you might score 2-1 to one, Casey Kenny, you might score 2-1 to one Bruno Silva, but, but the bottom line is Bruno Silva was out there giving Casey Kenny a run for his money, and that's got to count for something because Casey Kenny is no slouch. At all. Now, I know someone can say, well, Roman Salazar gave Casey Kenny a run for his money. You're, you're right. Well, Otsuka gave Khalid Taha a run for his money. So I, I got you on that one. But uh, look, what I really want to get at, the most important part, is the evolution of Bruno Bulldog's game because he had that that draw with Casey Kenny. And after that fight, you know, we weren't sure if he was just kind of kind of fizzle out and not really make it. But I'll tell you what, he moved in with Henry Cejudo. And moving in with Henry Cejudo is not the important thing. The important thing is that the influence that, Hen that Henry has dropped down on him, because if you watch his next fight, which was about seven months later, maybe even more, he comes out there with that same karate stance and footwork that Pitbull's been implementing in his game lately, that Cejudo's been implementing his last couple fights. So whatever they've been doing, Bruno's been doing the same thing. And he's training with Fight Ready, or as we like to say in Brazil, Fight Ready. So I think that Bruno Bulldog Silva is going to show something he hasn't shown yet. And if he does not get knocked out by Kali Taha, I think he's going to be able to get this fight to the mat, use that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. I know Coach Eric Albersin didn't watch the tape and tell Bruno Silva to go in there and stand and bang with Kali Taha. If he does, then he deserves to lose. But if he's if he's smart like I think he is and, you know, he's got the triple C with him and captain and they got a good game plan, I think they're going to mix it up. I think they're going to take this guy down the mat and I think they're going to grind it out. So I'm going to go with Bruno Bulldog for the upset. Next up in the flyweight division, we got Nadia Kasim. She's 5-1 and one, and Ji Yeon Kim is 8-2. and two. Currently, they got Ji Yeon Kim Minus 210, the comeback on Nadia Kasim is plus 175. Well, one thing I want to say is this line opened minus 140, Nadia Kasim. It didn't just flip, Shaq. It's minus 210, Gion Kim. So people think Nadia Kasim is one of the worst fighters on the roster. Now, that's debatable. Maybe she is, maybe she isn't. What I want to know here is what do you think about this line flip and which side are you taking? For the two fights that Nadia's been in, you know, I actually bet on her in her debut against, you know, the the uh, Astro Girl. The Astro Girl, Alex Chambers, you know, who's a complete soccer mom. And my <laughs> God, she gave me a scare. I mean, all Nadia's shown in these two fights is that she hasn't been ready for UFC competition. And I mean, you know, she was luckily that she was in the, luckily she was in there with a 37 year old scientist and, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> astrophysicist and astro luckily she was in there with a 37 year old astrophysicist and she was able to uh get through it but then her fight against montana de la rosa who i know she's got a winning record but the fact that it, the fight went down that way it was so dominant i mean their ground game looked completely atrocious and you know in between those fights she was supposed to fight yan zan and and uh Could you, you know before the before that fight man people were sending me some things of you know what nadi was doing outside outside of oh, the yeah. octagon 
And, you know, I was like, man, Forgot this, about girl, that. <laughs> this girl is completely off the uh, deep end. You know, she's going to, I'm not going to get any details, but she kind of, kind of completely went off the deep end in between those fights in a fight where she missed weight in the debut at 115. Now she's up at 125, but then she comes back for the De La Rosa fight. You know, she's telling the media about all these problems she's been having. And then she goes out there and gets ran through. So now she's coming back. I think it's been what, a, a year or so? Maybe, yeah, a maybe less, less than a, a year. Less. She is a very young girl. I think she's not even 23, maybe. She's she's very young. You know, she's training at Australian Top Team with her ex-boyfriend, Suman. And let's see the improvement she's got. You know, the only thing I see is a left straight and a left kick. But even that is just borderline average. But I will give her the benefit that she is young. She might... I, I, it seems like following her on Instagram that she's taking this fight a little bit more seriously. She says this is the the actual first real training camp that she's ever had. Gone through the you know the whole process. So we'll see. Uh, so we'll she's, see. she's not doing the whole bit. She's again? not doing the whole bit again. <laughs> so now she's in here against Gian Kim, who's uh, an average an average fighter at best. You know, Gian Kim. Uh, she's she has been in there with the Pudalovas, the Shevchenkos. She beat Justine Keish. She beat Melinda Fabian. You know, she's a 500 fighter, and that's what she's gonna be. Either one below her or right at 500. I think she's a pro boxer down there in, in South Korea, so I, I would give her the hands edge for sure in this fight. But, you know, Jeon Kim is just one of those fighters where it's very easy for her to start fighting close with somebody. You know, for example, the Melinda Fabian fight. Melinda Fabian was a complete joke. I mean, Melinda Fabian got ran through by Ostevich, who, if I'm not mistaken, might have a losing record. Does uh, have <laughs> Who might have a... Yeah, and real have, quick, on Melinda Fabian, you guys need to watch her regional yeah, fights. I mean, it's just bad. I mean, look, I, 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 you know, I actually did bet on Kim in that fight, but it was minus 190, but the fight went to split decision. She won the first two rounds, but in the third round, it just seemed like she got tied up, or she just really wasn't trying. Then she comes back again, Shevchenko misses weight by five pounds and loses a 30-27. Now, Nadia Kasim probably below than all those girls, but who knows? She's she's young. She, she Who knows? Kim at minus 210, I would not play it if you got it, you know, at, at dog odds or pick them on and I think you might got some value because I do think she's got she's got more skill she's got you know she's shown that she can at least beat Justine Keish or go somewhat somewhat close with the uh bantamweights like Pudalova and not get absolutely get not get finished by Shevchenko whereas I know you put Nadia in those fights and it's gonna be <laughs> I mean Montana De La Rosa literally ran this girl through the fuck like Gave this girl a tour of the octagon, you know what I'm saying? And uh, so I got to go with Gian Kim. But from a betting perspective, this is just a pass fight for me. I, I don't see any value on any side. You know, we can sit here and say, oh, Kasim's at home in Australia. And I guess that would be the side if you had to take. But she has shown nothing skill-wise that leads, to, leads me to believe that she can compete at this level. So I'll go with Gian Kim. Yeah, I mean, I think Shaq broke it down well in terms of the style. So I don't really think I need to address anything there. I mean, one thing I do want to say is, uh, do you remember that clip of my girl Lima Lay McFarland, the Bellator women's champion, when she was on the regional scene and she beat up that cafeteria yeah, lady? That's what, Nadia was doing. that's what Nadia was doing on her regional scene. One spinning back fist and these girls would go home, you know? So uh, as far as this matchup is concerned, here's what I got to say, because a lot of smart people that I know are saying that Gian Kim is easy money, and you, you guys might be right, but here's my thing. Just hear me out on this. I said those exact same words when she fought Melinda Fabian. And yes, she went out there and won. Melinda Fabian's on the exact same level, in my opinion, as Nadia Kassam. Maybe a little bit older. It's just like, just, you know, not UFC caliber, right? So you're thinking this is easy money. And then Gian Kim fights the level of her competition and goes to a split decision. So 
It's one of those things, man. Don't be surprised if that happens again here. That's all I'm saying. But at the end of the day, I do think Jeon Kim is more advanced in her career at this point. So I'll pick her for that reason. Next up in the featherweight division, we got Megan Anderson. She's 8-4. And, and Zara Farron Dos Santos is 6-2. and two. Currently, they got Megan Anderson, minus 600. The comeback on Zara Fern Dos Santos is plus 450. Well, uh, Shaq, uh, I'm going to take a wild guess that you weren't one of the people running to the betting window to lay 6-1 to one on Megan Anderson. Megan's pulling so much stunts out there that they had to go find a French girl for her to fight in Australia. So, <laughs> Megan Anderson, man, you know, look, her last fight I kind of got before, before her last fight I kind of, I don't want to say go in on her, but I've just been questioning her mental state, you know, from just from these interviews I've been watching. It just the vibe I'm getting is that the girl is not barely hanging on, but just in the mental, you could just see there's that mind, that mind is racing. And, and when she gets put in a bad spot in that cage, uh, she's been finishing, but now, like you said, you said that she's six to one. For the for the ones that are out there parlaying that six to one, just remember, like I told you guys last time, this is a lady that got finished by Cindy Dandwa. So just so just be careful. And real quick, <laughs> and, and on that note, Shaq, was the Cindy Dandwa fight a fluke finish or was it a domination? Oh no, it was a nice beating from bell to bell. I mean, Cindy Dandwa handled her with ease. I mean. Mounted her, molly whopped her, whatever you want to call it. So, and not to mention, I've seen Megan get wobbled by you know one and one bums before, like vicious chicken dances, uh, Amber you know, Lay, Lay fact, Brock or whatever. Uh, yeah, Amber Lay Brock, uh, and uh, and all the other girls she beat in Evicted were complete cans, like Peggy Morgan and uh, Charmaine Tweet, uh, a bitch, uh, a chick that looks like a dodo bird. You know, so uh, Megan Anderson came into the UFC untested, and it's it's mind boggling that people you know just keep laying chalk on her like. She's huge and she's big, but that size, you guys aren't realizing one thing is that Megan's cutting a serious ton away, and I feel like it's taken away from her performances in the cage. It's leading her to pull some of the most epic stunts that you have seen in a while. You know, it's one thing to say that, oh, we lost to Holly Holm and we're a little bit green, but when Holly Holm puts a jujitsu clinic on Holly Holm, the the, bo- the the boxing world champion, the person with no jujitsu, <laughs> puts a jujitsu clinic on you and is full mounting you and is literally out here running you through holly home is out here going for guillotines on you and you know we consider it's holly home's two and two and what a hundred in her last uh you know in her last few fights but anyways megan uh cutting too much weight you know we if you pull up some of her weigh-in videos i mean anytime she's making steps she's you know she's wincing and that's not good signs you know that's like what aspen was looking like before she fought jermaine duranemi and now it's all starting to make sense to me as why megan isn't living up to expectations but even even with the weight cut is like is she even that good you know i know she's big and she's six foot and you know not too many girls are gonna be six foot she's got big muscles but, like, she's going to be sick again after this weight cut. I mean, I don't see why the weight cut would get better. I mean, she's just too big. I mean, she's bigger than Calvin Qatar, in my opinion. She's bigger <laughs> She's bigger than Cerrone, in my opinion. She's bigger than a lot of a lot of featherweights out there and even some lightweights. You know what I'm saying? Like, this girl fighting at 145 pounds isn't right. She should be fighting in PFL in that 155 division. And then, who knows, maybe she would live up to the hype. But, you know, she's got nowhere to go. But luckily for her, I don't even say luckily. 
athletically, Dos Santos is just a mystery. You know, Dos Santos just seems like a striker that likes to use her jab and straight punches. And she's been whooping up on these girls. She lost a couple decisions. She's never been finished. Megan's, I don't think she's ever won a decision. I think all her wins are by finish. So uh, if this fight gets extended, this probably leads me to believe that this fight's going to start playing out a little bit closer. Although Megan has fought considerably the higher level of competition, like, I would not be shocked in the slightest if she pulled another stunt. You know, Felicia Spencer... Although it's probably on a different level than this Dos Santos girl in Holly Holm. It's more so Megan beating herself either before she gets in there or with the weight cut. So, you know, I'll pick Megan to win just because this girl Dos Santos hasn't fought anything on this level. But as a betting perspective, it's Dos Santos or past Megan Anderson is flaky. She's been wobbled by one and one girl. She's beaten absolutely nobody. I guess if you want to count Kat Zangano. But, uh, <laughs> you know, she counts that as a real one. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, and Katzengano's absolutely washed up. Uh, I mean, <laughs> and uh, so I'll pick Megan just because she's the more experienced fighter. And it just seems like trending wise, whenever people are over in the UFC and they get the, the newcomer that maybe they get the win. And then they are trying to set her up with a win. I mean, they're trying to get her a win here. It's just when after this weight cut and after she's out here on the scales with the tube and she looks absolutely drawn out, who knows what to say and she's going to do. I mean, just watch this girl's fights. It's kind of a mess. She rushes everything. I mean, I unless she moves up a weight class, I really don't see this ending too well for Megan. But uh, I'll pick her to get the win on, on Saturday. Yeah, look, uh, Megan Anderson, I think Shaq said it right. Those weight cuts take out so much from her. Uh, she should not be weighing 145 pounds. It's just that, well, there's no option. If you want to fight in the UFC, you better fucking make 145 pounds. It literally takes everything out of her. You know, and a lot of people are under the impression that Cindy Dandwa fight, that Megan was dominating, and then she just got caught with a fluke submission. And that wasn't the case at all. Cindy Dandwa <laughs> picked up uh, Megan Anderson and threw her out the cage. You know what I mean? She gave her a tour, uh, a first-class one at that, you know, VIP access. You got to skip the entire line. It was one of those tours, and it was quite embarrassing and alarming. And then in subsequent fights, she's getting rocked by these girls with losing records. So the thing I do like about Megan Anderson, and there's only one thing, it's the offensive striking. Not that it's pretty or nothing like that, but at least she's violent. She's out there mixing it up. Art of eight limbs, punches, kicks, knees, elbows. I respect that. But defensively, chin straight up in the air. Doesn't move that head off the center line. And that's just striking. Let's talk about defensively in the grappling realm. Oh, man. I mean, you put this girl on her back and make her work. And, you know, she's going to start making the facial expressions. If you watch that uh, Felicia Spencer fight, just take a look at uh, my boy James Krause and the rest of the corner, man. As soon as that fight hit the mat, they're all face palming. They're all like, oh, my God. Like, We've been in this position all camp, and now you're, you know what I mean? And now you're giving up, so. We worked on this every day. Like, we worked on this every day, Megan. What the fuck? You know, so, uh, yeah. Um, as far as Zara Farn Dos Santos goes, she's a striker, so it's going to give Megan the kind of fight she wants. Word on the street is that this chick, Dos Santos, so she's from the, the French regional scene. Apparently, she couldn't get any fights. No one wanted to fight her, so she's coming off a bit of a layoff. And in her last loss to Sinead Kavanaugh, you know, she uh, Sinead's an SBG fighter. She had uh, the New York Times bestselling author, Jan Ka John Kavanaugh, in the corner. You know, they fixed the decision real quick. But uh, if you go watch that fight and go look at the YouTube comments, everyone knows Dos Santos won that fight. But, you know, it's one of those things that uh, you can't fight close in someone else's hometown or even home country. Well, this happens to be in Megan Anderson's uh, home. So if it is close, I'm going to lean Anderson. But... The thing is, man, if you're asking me to pick a side between a minus 600 next to Megan's name and a plus 450 with someone else who's not Peggy Morgan, 
I'm going to lean with the plus 450, bro. So I'm going to go with a Zara Farn Dos Santos to get this upset. Next up in the lightweight division, we got Brad Riddell. He's 6-1. And, and Jamie Malarkey is 12-2. Currently, they got Brad Riddell minus 160. The comeback on Jamie Malarkey is plus 140. Well, Shaq, this fight opened to pick him with a slight lean on Riddell, but all the action has come in on Riddell. And uh, now, now he's a decent... Decent size favorite, and what's really interesting about this fight is I know people have heard us break down a Jamie Malarkey fight before because when, whenever we break down Alex Volkanovsky, I always mention that vicious stiffening on the regional scene he had, and that was against Jamie Malarkey. He floored Jamie Malarkey, and I thought Jamie Malarkey was never going to be able to recover, was never going to be able to make it to a UFC fight. I thought he was going to be what we like to refer to as terminally local. And it uh, turns out that's not the case. This kid put his head down. He grinded. He got on a win streak. He got the wins he needed to get on the Australian scene. And now he's making that UFC debut against Brad Riddell. And when you talk about Brad Riddell, you're talking about a guy who's got a serious kickboxing background. And when I mean serious, I mean this guy went out there and beat John Wayne Parr. And officially it says he beat him by decision. But if you go and you watch that fight, between you and me, he won by knockout. And he knocked him out like three times. One of the times he face planted him. But, you know, with those kickboxing rules, they get these 10 counts. And, and all these things so the guy came back from the dead but uh, brad riddell slept him and also for being six and one brad riddell also has a knockout win over keenan song who's out here in the welterweight division with a winning record in the ufc so he does have some experience in that extent in that regard but one thing i gotta say man besides keenan song who is a kickboxer and will give Brad Riddell the fight he wants. All these other guys he's been fighting are nowhere near the caliber of not just Jamie Malarkey, but UFC caliber. I mean, we're talking about earlier this year, guys, 2019. Brad Riddell is out here wearing rash guards, fighting one and two guys. What I mean by one and two, one win, two losses. That's the record of the guy he was fighting in China. They're wearing rash guards out there. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is some Bush League stuff. So while Brad Riddell is this amazing kickboxer, very thickly muscled, this guy's hooks are on point. He goes to your body, you might take a knee. He goes upstairs, they might need to bring in the stretcher and the smelling salts. But the thing is, if you can extend this guy, if you can make him start to breathe heavy, you can take him down to the mat i have a feeling i have a slight suspicion that he doesn't know what the hell he's doing on that mat I, I know he's out here training with dan hooker and izzy and volk and all these guys he even has inside info on malarkey because he is volk striking coach volk did knock out malarkey but volk isn't going to go in there and fight for him Alexander Volkanovsky, what's his record? 18 and 1, 19 and 1? He's fighting, he's fighting for a world title, guys. Brad Riddell is 6 and 1. I I'm, I'm not even convinced he should be making that UFC debut yet. <laughs> Don't the only the only thing here is that Jamie Malarkey needs to get past the stand-up portion at least while Brad Riddell is fresh. But one thing I love about this kid Malarkey, look, he's not the most athletic in the world. Uh, he definitely marks up when he gets hit. He's very hittable. He's been knocked out before, but the kid has serious cardio. He's got heart for days. And if you start to slow down on a guy like Jamie Malarkey, he will tee off on you. He starts mixing it up to the body. He'll start mixing in takedowns. And when he gets on top, man, he'll land some devastating elbows. I've seen him knock dude's teeth out with elbows from ground and pound. So bottom line is I think that if he does not go down to the left hook of Brad Riddell, that he's going he's gonna to start to put it on him late. 
go out there and uh, win this decision, potentially get a submission. I'm not sold on Brad Riddell's ground game. The only thing I think Brad Riddell brings to the table is he hits extremely hard. He's got a high level of striking pedigree. But guys, that's a different sport. This is MMA. It takes time to transition from kickboxing to MMA. Israel Adesanya didn't get to the UFC you know, on his seventh pro fight. It took him a little bit longer than that. And you saw shit on that regional scene where guys like Melvin Guillard were taking Israel Adesanya's back. Like, even though Riddell's got all this potential, you still got to pay your dues before you're ready to perform in that octagon. And I do think Jamie Malarkey has paid his dues. So for that reason, I think he comes out here, weathers the storm, and gets the upset in his first UFC appearance. Hit it on the head. I mean, Riddell's definitely got the reputation of the serious striker. Like you said, he's knocked out John Wayne Parr. He's, you know, fought around the world in kickboxing. He's still relatively young, 28, but I'd say he's an older 28. You know, he's coming in with the with the uh, with the kickboxing uh, extensive career in that uh, in that sport. And like you said, uh, he doesn't know what to. You feel like he, there's a chance he doesn't know what to do on the mat. Well, in in 2000, uh, just in July 2018, he did get submitted by a guy that Malarkey beat, uh, Abel Brights, and, you know, he tapped right away, you know, with an arm bar. He took him down, and it was nothing. And, and these guys got to know what kind of level Abel Brights is on. <laughs> I mean, he got he tapped right away, so there is a good chance he doesn't know what to do on the mat. It's been some time. I'm sure he knows a little bit more, but does he know a little bit more when the bright lights is on him under that UFC octagon, and Eugene isn't standing right over him telling him uh, what to do, you know what I'm saying? Two on one, two on one, Brad. <laughs> when he's on the other side of the, of the cage and he can't really hear <laughs> When you can pause the session mid-sub and say, no, put the hands here. <laughs> you know, if uh, so that's my big question. You know, he's got the vicious body work. We've seen him hurt a lot of guys to the body. And, you know, Malarkey does have a, a skinny core. You know, he does have a skinny frame. So it would not shock me if Riddell, if the power was just too much. But like you said, Malarkey is a really tested fighter. He's actually fought the better lightweights on that Australian scene. You know, he's actually paid his dues. Oh, he got knocked out by Volkanovski. Who's uh, the number two 45er in the world? You know, big fucking whoop. He was at like 22 when that happened. You know what I'm saying? And he's paid his dues and he and he's bounced back. And then, like you said, I like the kid's work rate. I like how he he's steady yet. He doesn't really get deterred. He just moves forward. If you hit him, he keeps moving forward. He's got the better ground game for sure. He's uh, more efficient, in my opinion. The kid's only 25. He's also getting very better. He's already more well rounded than Riddell. I mean, that's just facts. And uh, Riddell, like you said, he's been fighting in these rash guards against the one and two what i like to call chaps with tennis shoes on and, uh, and uh with rash guards and shit and he's out here you know handling them but even that i mean it's not necessarily so impressive it's really not even fights they're more like exhibition matches up until riddell touches them and they go down so riddell besides like you said besides the keenan song fight in which he landed a beautiful body shot really hasn't been consistently tested inside an octagon in compare like in comparison to jamie malarkey so jamie malarkey's got the the far better cardio not to mention brad riddell he keeps mentioning this weight cut to 55 you know he has fought at 55 in the past and he is a lightweight but he just hasn't fought at that weight in a little while and this three week notice and this is a three week notice fight you know i feel like malarkey's one of those guys that he just strikes me as that guy that's always in a striking distance of weight a very hard worker and i feel like uh Riddell might drain himself to make this way, and he's very muscular, and he's going to be him uh, swinging heat early. And Malarkey's got to be careful, but like you said, if this fight gets extended, I actually favor Malarkey. I, I feel like he's more alive than not in this spot. You know, last week, there was a good example of a, a kickboxer who fought bomb competition like Giga Chikadze. You know, he was out here fighting two and 32 guys and in that promotion, Gladiator Challenge. And he uh, he came with uh, great improvements, but you know what it took him to to make that Im those improvements? Uh, an embarrassing loss to a bum 
named Austin Springer. And although Riddell's took him one of those losses, I feel like he might have to take another one to really to really make those strides in the in his grappling game. And I just feel like there's some big question marks on him. So you know, I understand if you're if the if his kickboxing background is enough to take him. Uh, for you know, for someone to take uh, over a guy like Malarkey, but I feel like this might be a, a closer fight, and I'll, and I'll take Malarkey for an upset by a uh, third round submission. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got Callan the Rockstar Potter. He's seventeen and eight, and Mackie Coconut Bombs Pitolo is twelve and four. First of all, Callan, uh, my my boy Jamar the Rockstar Whitehead might have an issue with that nickname, but currently they got Mackie Pitolo minus three fifty. The comeback on Callan Potter is plus 290. Well, Shaq, I mean, we kind of know the deal here. Basically, everyone thinks that Mackie Patolo is going to knock out Callan Potter in the first round. There's a very good chance that could happen. The only, you know, kind of wrench I want to throw in there is that I've seen Mackie Patolo go out there and absolutely mop the floor with guys and dominate them to a point where it's like, Mac, you know, Mackie, do whatever you want to do, you know, if you want to light the guy on fire, if you want to throw him out the cage, if you want to do all these things, and he'll he'll have a guy dead to rights, and then out of nowhere, he gets finished, and this isn't a one-time thing, this isn't a two-time thing, I've seen this three, on three separate occasions, where Mackie Patolo is dominating a fight, pillar to post, seems like there's no way he can lose, and then he gets finished out of nowhere, so that's where I have hesitation laying minus 3-5 on a guy like Mackie Patolo. But that being said, when you talk about Callan Potter, I kind of think he got to the UFC a little bit too late. You know, people uh, were hyping him up from the Australian scene a couple years back. They thought he might, maybe should have got in then. But after that Marcin held fight where he got heel hooked, he's been looking significantly slower. You saw that BJ Bland fight where, you know, you're not supposed to go to a split decision with a guy like BJ Bland. You're supposed to finish him in the first round. And since that point, then Jalen Turner, who, you know, is low, low tier UFC caliber fighter, is out there finishing him in under two minutes. So I think that even though I respect Callan Potter a lot, he seems like a really nice guy. I like the people he trains with. I think he might have got to the UFC a little bit too late. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Mackie Patolo to come out here and get a first round knockout. But again, with this minus three fifty, guys, I'm gonna repeat myself. I've seen Mackie Patolo dominate people and then get finished out of nowhere more than once. So tread with caution, but my pick is Mackie Patolo via first round knockout. Mackie Patolo, he had the, the stretch of two losses to Cassius Clean, Dakota Cocker. You know, the first one to Cassius Kane or in which he got knocked out viciously. I'd attribute that to just bad, poor management. It's kind of like what I said about Jeff Hughes and Maurice Green a, a couple weeks back. He literally just beat him the fight before, and then he took another fight with him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, bro, you just fought him. Why would you fight him again? <laughs> and then he got knocked out, and, you know, we consider him saying, uh, it's kind of hard to... He dominated the guy for... Round, you know what I'm saying? He, dominated, he, he beat the fuck he, out of him. He took him down for a round, but, you know, I can't necessarily call that domination. One round isn't enough to consider domination. I mean, we see that, you know, we see that over and over. I just saw it last week. So, you know, I feel like Mackie Patolo, he's coming in here. He, the guy, the kid's a, one of those typical Hawaii warriors, man. He's going to fight with his heart. He's here to either get knocked out or get a knockout. So you saw his last fight against Johnson Sumter. He put the pressure on that kid. I mean, that was the best he ever looked. He put that the pressure on that kid right away, went to his body. But the thing about Mackie Patolo is he's a killer, be killed fighter. That comes with a cost. That means he's prone to a possible fluke KO. And Potter, he's pulled off a couple fluke KOs in the past. But like you said, in the last few years, 
It just seems like he's getting progressively a lot more chinny, especially in these last four or five fights where he's got these knee braces on in the fights. And Mikey Patolo, like you're saying, he was dominating this and that. But look at the guy Kylan Potter fought before this, Jalen Turner. Jalen Turner, you know, on his local scene, this guy got knocked unconscious. Like three or four (laughs) by, like, I'm talking by bums. Like, guys with losing records. And, uh, I mean, that Jalen Turner ran over and Kylan Potter with the first left on the chin, and he was out unconscious. So, like you said, I think... Uh, firstly, he shouldn't even be in the UFC. He's here off a short notice call, and he's only going to fight on Australian cards because no one gives a shit about him anywhere else. So, you know, I think uh, Maki Patolo comes out here, gets the first round knockout. Whether Whatever you think about Maki, you know, it, it's true or not, it might play down... Uh, play out in the future but in this particular spot i don't think it's going to matter i think this guy's chin is completely shot and i think he's a fake black belt as well i think mackie can beat him on the mat as well so i'll take mackie next up in the welterweight division we got jake matthews he's 14 and 4 and rostam akman is 6 and 1 currently they got jake matthews minus 350 the comeback on rostam akman is plus 290 so uh Jake Matthews is an interesting character. You know, he's had mixed results in uh, Australia. You obviously know he got finished by James Vick, got finished by Tony Martin, lost the split to Andrew Holbrook, all in Australia. But he's also had some triumphs there, too. So my question is, uh, do you think that uh, the walking Sasquatch, Rostam Akman, is going to punk out Jake Matthews with all that hair? I heard he hasn't been hitting the, the <laughs> I heard he ain't been hitting the waxing salon for this fight. You know, Rossum Akman had a very good fight against Kondasko in his debut, who was supposed to fight Michelle Pereira, and uh, yeah, they put on a good show. Rossum Akman, he's, uh, he's, very, he's very green. He's only got seven fights, and it's kind of hard to ask guys with only seven fights, kind of like a Hao Chin a few weeks back. It's kind of hard to ask him to fight a 27-5 and five guy on one week notice, and then to turn back around and fight a guy like Jake Matthews in Australia, who's got the experience that he has now. Jake Matthews, for me, has always been a flake. I would never personally bet him at a line like this. He did uh, run through Shinsho Anzai when he was lying in a similar range like this, but Rasam Agman, although he's green, one thing I like about him is his toughness, and I like the way he moves forward, and Jake uh, Matthews once lost to Andrew Holbrook, so nothing would have surprised me, but at one point he did beat Lee Jing Young, so, uh, <laughs> you know, so this kid is literally all over the place. I'll pick Jake Matthews here just because he's at home. Uh, it seems like uh, he's got a, he's got a thing. He's got a kid now. So he, he seems like uh, this might be a perfect recipe for him to be on the cage in front of his in front of his uh, fellow Aussies. And like I said, it's tough to ask a kid with only seven fights already who fought a 27-5 and five guy to turn back around and fight Jake Matthews. So I'll pick Jake, but uh, I would not be shocked if uh, this fight played out closer. And that's just due to the mental side of Jake. We've seen Jake anytime. If he's expecting to come out here and get a a quick knockout and he doesn't get it you've seen him in the past turn into a complete and start ankle diving like whether it be against Boyan Velichkovich or whether it be against like the Andrew Holbrook fight or we've seen him in times like in his Tony Martin fight it was Tony Rocco Martin so that's a completely different level fighter than Rossum Achman but he quit so there's a fundamental issue in Jake Matthews but uh he's getting older he's still a young kid maybe he goes on another little two three fight win streak uh but uh I'll, I'll pick Jake Matthews but I'd be very careful yeah, I mean, look, he's so much better than this guy. It's just about not getting punked out by uh, by a Sasquatch. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, we're not talking about a little chest hair here with my boy Roastum. We're talking about the full back. We're talking about the shoulder. So when Jake goes to tie up with him, he better not be like, yo, what the fuck? You know? So, uh, no, but but real talk, I just think that he's on a completely different level than Roastum Akman. And the athleticism, the experience should carry him through here. But, 
you know, like we've already seen, uh, Andrew Holbrook beat this guy, and he has had so many shaky moments in the past that minus 350 just ain't the move in this spot, but I'm still going to pick him to win. Next up in the heavyweight division, we got Jorgan De Castro. He's 5-0, and and Justin Taffa is 3-0. and Currently, they got Justin Taffa minus 125. The comeback on Jorgan De Castro is plus 105. Well, Shaq, it originally opened minus 170, Jorgan De Castro. I think more people know him from Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series. Went out there with a beautiful knockout over Alton Meeks, who you and I actually called Alton Meeks' last fight in the NFC. Then he went out there in Contender Series, and Jorgan De Castro leg kicked TKO'd him. And with Justin Taffa... He's only 3-0 making that UFC debut, but the kid trains with Mark Hunt, tied to Ivasa. He's got the exact same tattoos as Mark Hunt, tied to Ivasa, Tyson Pedro, all those guys. You can assume that this kid throws big bombs. My question is, who gets it done in their UFC debut? Justin Taffa, he's only got three fights. I mean, this guy is the definition of green. And in and, 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 and all three of those fights, at one point, he was held down on his back. And he, he either fought a complete can or... Uh, middleweight one of those fights in which the size was just so the, the middleweight was so outsized Tafa could literally pull any stun he wanted and get out of it and he was able to just dominate and the other two guys he fought were complete can so Tafa's got a lot a lot of questions I get that he comes from a family of kickboxers dada and uncle ain't gonna hop in there and, and, and fight and fight for you know big bro ain't gonna hop in there auntie and fight a. for <laughs> you know auntie gang stepping in there you know so uh <laughs> damn <I ain't. laughs> That guy ain't stepping in there for you. <laughs> so uh, uh, now he's fighting DeCasho, who was a huge underdog to Alton Meeks. And the minus 170 line is a little bit intriguing because for him to be such a big dog, even to Alton Meeks, who I've seen him fight once or twice, but man, I guess that's stemming from that Yargon kind of had a sketchy amateur record when he had a losing amateur record. And uh, it seems like he's gotten his shit together the second he went pro and throws those vicious low kicks. This fight against Meeks uh, for a heavyweight guy, this guy's an underrated athlete. I mean, this guy was out here timing flying knees at 253 pounds. And, uh, and that leg kick, man, his leg kick game is very vicious. It's going to be interesting to see if he can get off on those against a southpaw like Tafa. You know, the edge I'd give Tafa is it seems like when he lets his hands go that he's definitely got better hands than DeCastro. But other everything else, I mean, I kind of have to give it to DeCastro just because he's fought actual, I don't want to say real guys, but it just seems like he's a little farther along. He's a little bit more polished. He's got a little bit more seasoning. This guy's fought absolutely nobody, Tafa. So just because he's got the tattoos don't mean shit. But uh, it's a it's a slight pick him with the lean on Tafa now. DeCastro should be the favorite here. He's got the kicks and he's just, I feel like when in this fight in the UFC, when the little details come up that Tafa might not be able to not be good in those positions. And like I said, I've seen middleweights on top of this guy. You know, I feel like if DeCastro wants to switch it up here, he can and go jujitsu against this guy and he can get the win and i feel like tafa his fights just really <laughs> they're all set up for him to win and you could say the same thing for this one but i feel like the cash show has got a country behind him he comes from a very small country he's a hard worker he's got a lot of pride and i think that uh he's just right now as of currently the better fighter you know tafa might translate better down the line when he gets better at wrestling and and the little details but as of currently i think yorgan de castro should be the favorite and i and i think that he gets the win i you know i can't necessarily say by how i guess i'll say knockout but uh this guy tafa i mean look one of his fights they only got the second round up on youtube the prom he's so sketch 
they don't even want you to see the fucking first round because they know that he got he was on his back again. You know what I'm saying? So this guy is sketched to me. I get it. He's he's got the tattoos and he looks like you know. But guys, just because let's not forget, Mark Hunt had a losing record in MMA. <laughs> let's, let's not forget, Mark Hunt went on six fight losing streak. Not, just because he's boys with Mark Mark Hunt lost more fights than he won. Uh, Tyson Pedro, he's got the tattoos too. He's a fraud. Just because he's got the tattoos doesn't necessarily mean that he's a. The, <laughs> you want to be the? I guess Mark Hunt made a lot of money, but Mark Hunt lost more fights than he won. <laughs> so I'll go with the Castro. Yeah, the thing with this guy Justin Taffa is that when you talk about the people that he wants to be like, the Mark Hunts, the Tattoo Ivasas, they've all had what twenty to thirty pro fights around there. This kid, this kid's on his fourth pro fight, like. Let the guy have a little seasoning and experience because when you watch his pro career, that that debut against the middleweight, and, I mean, he's getting full mounted by this middleweight. He's getting taken down with ease. It's just he's so much bigger than the guy that when he finally got on top, of course he pounded him out. But when you're getting reversed uh, by middleweights, uh, it's, I already know what level your ground game is on. When you're a heavyweight, my friends, this guy weighs 265 pounds. He's out here getting uh, reversed by middleweights and taken down with ease. Next fight, just ran through some random, uh, you know, real quick. And then the fight after that, I mean, they had to take down the first round off YouTube because they didn't want anyone to see what happened. I had to get fans to send me pictures of what happened. And uh, the pictures I saw were Taffa on his back with that uh, <laughs> with that guy on top of him, that guy that you know has retired since, Shaq. So, uh, yeah, uh, that doesn't really incite much confidence, whereas with a guy like Jorgen de Castro, when you hear this guy's story, I mean, and you know, we're not trying to get emotional or this or that. It just kind of lets you know the kind of hard work and the kind of the kind of mindset this guy has. You know, he came from a very small African country, moved to the United States to create a better life for his family, and he started fighting then in the States. So he had a pretty shitty amateur record because when you look at a guy like Marlon Chito Vera, it's a kind of similar situation. They're not from the same country, but they had no one to train with in their home country. So when they came to the States, they had so much, uh, there was so much room to improve and Holy shit, uh, Ricardo Ramos versus Garagori just got announced. That should be a good fight. But look, these kids, there was so much uh, room for improvement that they had to fill all those gaps. And Marlon Chito Vera, when he moved to the United States, he went out there and filled those gaps. And I think a guy like Jorgen de Castro, when you watch his amateur fights and you compare it to his pro career, even every single pro fight in order, the guy has been putting in the work. He has been making improvements. He is surrounded by the right people. And that being said, let's talk about what he does bring to the table. The guy kicks like a goddamn mule, Shaq. The guy kicks super fucking hard. I mean, to go out there and beat the D1 football player and uh, I think he was a national champ wrestler or something among those lines, to beat him via leg kicks, that says something. You could hear the sound. It was like a baseball bat to the thigh. And then the fight before that where he looked a little bit sloppier, but he did land about 30 leg kicks on the guy. The reason I think he's gotten better is because it only took a couple the next fight, whereas before it was 30 in a row. So he's getting more accurate. He's growing them harder. And also, if this kid gets on top of you, he might pound you out. Whereas with Justin Taffa, what he's got going for him is he's got that Mark Hunt and Tai Tuivasa boxing style. His hands are on point. The guy can throw hands, but the rest of the game just ain't together, man. You put this guy on his back. You know, he better hope that you don't <laughs> that you don't finish him and that the bell rings so he can start the next round on the feet because he ain't getting back up. So 
while the leg kicks might not be as big of a factor because Tafa is a southpaw, it, it might be a little bit tougher to do. I mean, I still think Jorgan de Castro can go inside on the leg kick. I still think he can go to the body kick. I still think, actually, he's low-key a pretty damn athletic heavyweight, even though he doesn't look it. The guy was out here timing flying knees the last fight. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he went upstairs with a head kick, but he's got Tar Tyson Chartier with him, who's Calvin Cater's manager. They game plan all this stuff. They better know to take Tafa down to the mat where they are, where, I mean... The guy has nothing off his back. So I'm going to go with Jorgan de Castro here to get the win in his UFC debut. And I also want to say, you guys should hear this kid talk because uh, he's very, very smart, very analytical. I'm very impressed with this guy. So I can't wait to see what he does. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got Luke Jumeau. He's 13-4 and four, and Diego Lima is 14-7. and seven. Currently, they got Diego Lima minus 145. The comeback on Luke Jumeau is plus 125. Well, Shaq, Diego Lima opened minus 230 here. All the action has come in on the Kiwi, Luke Jumeau. And Luke Jumeau's coming off a two-year layoff. And Diego Lima, talk about a career turnaround, man. At one point, he was the laughing stock of the welterweight division. Now he's uh, he's coming off back-to-back -back wins over Ultimate Fighter winners. Looking, finally, starting to live up to that potential. Because originally, it was like, uh, you know, Douglas's little bro. Now, now it's Diego Lima. So... You think Diego Lima is going to come out here and beat uh, the Kiwi in Australia? Uh, Luke Jumo, he was uh, actually supposed to fight Jeff Neal uh, in Australia. and then he, then I wonder he, why he pulled out of that fight. <laughs> and, then, and he got injured, and we haven't seen him since. So. Did you ever hear what the injury was? <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> I haven't. Uh, so he's supposed to fight Jeff Neal. We haven't seen him since. And before that, he was coming off the win against Daichi IB. You know, Daichi's a very young kid, and he actually uh, dropped Luke Jumo badly in the first round and hurt him and then he just uh pulled a young move got tired and lost the next two rounds and luke jumo kind of has uh what i like to call a wannabe robert whitaker style he's got similar tattoos uh he likes to fight with his left hand down and he likes to invite you in to try to knock him out so he can counter you and you know slip and try to land a left hook or a big combo upstairs and that's uh i would say that was that'd be the strength in his game his power he's an undersized welterweight i mean it's sad because he can't make 55 and it just seems like he's a little bit too undersized to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the with the Jeff Neals of the world. And Diego Lima is a very big boy. I mean, he's about the same size as Douglas Lima. So he's uh, he's definitely going to be outsized in this fight. And I actually agree with the opening line. Diego Lima, the issue with him has always been his chin. We know he's got the skills. We know he's got the black belt. We know that he's got the power. We know he's got the explosion. We know he's got the boxing. It's always been the chin or just his mental is mental there was so there was such a long period of time there when the guy had absolutely no confidence at all where him going into these fights was pretty much just <laughs> whatever happens happens and uh these last two fights man he, he just in the last couple years in general overall it just seems like he's making gains in his fight against chad Lepree, man he his movement was on point chad tried to low-key punk him out with a bunch of feints and fakes and diego was able to stand in that pocket lane a vicious left foot kind of reminds me of his big bro <laughs> that left foot and uh he knocked chad Lepree the fuck out in his next fight against a hard worker like court mcgee a guy who doesn't stop and you know court might be washed up or old this and that but one thing about 
court is he will push a pace and he will move forward the entire time. And Diego was able to move around the entire time for 15 minutes, uh, well, for 14 minutes and 40 seconds, and uh, was able to pick him apart, in my opinion. He took him down, stuffed his takedowns, and it was the best he ever looked. I actually thought that was his best performance. And what the issue was in the last 15 seconds, he got carried away. He swung, closed his eyes, and he got dropped. So we do know that the chin, I don't want to say it's a chin issue, but I'll just say it's a focus issue. As long as he is focused on his task, I think Diego's the better fighter than Luke Jumo. Luke Jumo had a, a shitty performance, in my opinion, against Shinzo Anzai, a fight where he was supposed to to walk, or supposed to run through Shit Show Anzai. I mean, if you look at the fight before and his fight after, what happened to Shit Show Anzai? He got ran through. You know what I'm saying? But when he fought Luke Jumo, Luke Jumo with that style, the hands down, and he, like I said, he likes to try to invite you in so he can counter. It's a very kind of lazy type of fighting style. And sometimes Luke has got his hands down and he gets caught with shots that he shouldn't shouldn't be getting hit with and it's hard for him to win rounds that way so i feel like diego lima as long as he comes out here uses his movement the key to this fight really in my opinion is taking Luke Jumo down. I feel like Diego is considerably better than him on the map. The only chance I give Luke Jumo to win this fight is by knockout. And I feel like if he can't uh, win by knockout, he's going to get severely outclassed. And uh, I'm going to go with Diego Lima for a 30-27 win. You know, I feel like he's just going to uh, not give him a tour, but just just give him a, a slight MMA lesson, a jiu-jitsu lesson, a wrestling lesson, even a boxing lesson, you know? I feel like as long as he picks those shots right, they had a very, very specific training camp. I mean, the, the, the Luke Jumo replica in camp for Diego Lima was Tony Martin, who's a better version, of my, a better version, better grappler, better boxer, better everything. And uh, he trained with Diego and his brother, you know, specifically uh, for weeks, man. So I feel like they're going to be prepared, and I feel like he gets his third straight win in the UFC. The thing with Diego Lima is that how many times have we seen him have to learn his lesson, especially coming up? at the beginning of his UFC career. I mean, the guy was thrown into fights that he just simply wasn't ready for. You're telling me that, you know, two fights in your UFC career, you're one-on-one, one, they throw you in there with Tim Means, you get knocked out, then they're like, you know what, here's, here's Li Jing Liang, you know? So Diego Lima had to go in there and learn his lessons. Well, now it's time for Luke Jumo to come in here and learn his, man, because uh, when you get a fight with Jeff Neal, and uh, we're not going to give him shit for pulling out of that fight. We understand why he pulled out of that fight. You did the right thing, Luke, because that would have not ended well. But uh, here with Diego Lima, it's basically one of these situations where if Diego Lima's chin doesn't get touched properly here, he's going to win this fight. He's got the size. He's got the skill. Now he's got the experience, finally, which is, which is what would cost him in the past. But like I said before, now it's Diego's turn to teach someone a lesson. And uh, it's amazing how the tables turn. It's amazing how the sport evolves. You know, I like this kid, Jumo, but he should be fighting at 155 pounds. And I have a feeling he can't make 55, so now I kind of question his diet. I kind of question his motivation. I mean, when he's out there, that shit show Anzai fight, like, dude, that shit was in the palm of his hand in terms of it was within reach. And he just he just couldn't let it go, you know? It's kind of sad to see, man. I just think he might be a little bit overhyped here. The thing with Jumo is from time to time, he won't do anything for two minutes, and then he'll throw a really explosive two-piece combo, right? So as long as he doesn't put down Diego Lima with something... I, th I think he loses his fight in every facet of the game. So I'm going with Diego Lima here, and I think Diego should actually be a higher favorite in this spot. And next up in the heavyweight division, we got Ty Bam Bam Tuivasa. He's 10-2. and two, And Sergey Polar Bear Spivak is 9-1. and one. Currently, they got Ty Tuivasa minus 400. The comeback on Sergey Spivak is plus 325. Well, Shaq, uh, you know... 
last time Sergey Spivak watched, and you know, we watched some of his regional fights. He's going out there getting these guys with schoolyard headlocks, and you know, the whole bit. It was kind of cute. I was like, okay, this this new Ukrainian guy making his UFC debut. Wasn't really quite sure what level he was on. I knew Walt Harris had just gotten a split with Arlovsky. We weren't sure where Walt's head was at. Walt goes out there and embarrasses Sergey Spivak in a way where I'm not sure that Sergey Spivak can ever recover mentally. So my question for you, my man, is you think Sergey Spivak can get this to the mat schoolyard headlock, this guy, or is it a second canvas nap in a row time? Yeah, kind of like what I was saying with Rashlam Akman, it's kind of hard to ask a guy, like an entry-level UFC fighter, to go in here and fight Walt Harris and Tai Tuivasa for his first two UFC fights. Spivak, firstly, just, I don't want to say he's a complete fraud, but like, in, in the sense that he has to fight top 15 guys, he is a complete fraud. <laughs> so, well, unfortunately for him, he's not ready for this level of competition yet. Although, no matter what happens on Saturday, I'm sure it's going to be an improvement from the Walt Harris fight, considering he got ran through right away. Um, but Taito Avasa doesn't have the hand speed of a Walt Harris. Fighting two top 15 guys, uh, Spivak is a guy on his local scene. He just uh, pretty much fought guys that didn't fight back. You know, he was out here fighting the, the ghost of Tony Lopez. I mean, who 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 hasn't been Tony Lopez at this point? I mean, he's out here losing bare knuckle matches to Joey Beltran. It was a, it was a good bare knuckle match, but Tony Lopez is your at this point your standard Friday night jobber. And uh, Spivak, he did his thing, but in the UFC, uh, I just see him getting knocked knocked out again to Ivasa although I don't think uh it's top 10 but like <laughs> come on guys the guy fought uh he beat Andre Arlovsky you know whether we want to say Andre's lost this uh, out of how many or whatever Andre Arlovsky is still relevant it's still a tough fight man Sakai struggled with him uh Walt, I mean it's still gonna be a tough fight if you know we'll see how Rosen Rosenstrike does but uh <laughs> oh we know how my boy big boy is gonna do <laughs> this ain't Alan Crowder no more bro <laughs> it's gonna be a tough fight I think that this is a fight for Tui Vasa to get back on track on 100% I mean the guys that he's fought and this is a big step down it's just a, a lot of if, if he's not running through this guy in less than, than a, in under two minutes then you know as a better you might get a little pissed off but Spivak unfortunately after this fight he needs to take a big step down hopefully they give him you know a uh, let's give him the Greg after now I'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> let's give him the, some you know the winner of the Castro and uh, and Tafa, you know something like I'll that. give him the winner or the loser I think that Tuivasa gets the gets the win here 100 percent Yeah, look, uh I learned uh that Spivak is not UFC caliber in that debut, you know, because lots of heavyweights uh, on the on the heavyweight scene, you're not really sure this and that, but when they get to the UFC, you know right away. And uh, we knew right away as soon as uh the ref said go that this kid don't belong. He got hit one time and he did not want to be there anymore. Guess what, buddy? Guess what, Sergey? They fight back in the UFC. You know what I mean? They'll actually hit you back in the UFC. I think on his regional uh, fights, uh, you know, the fights were over before they even began. And in this spot, man, Taito Ivasa, he's the developing fighter. And not only that, he's just too experienced. He's too fast. The hand combinations are going to be a big problem here. I think he goes out here and knocks out Sergey Spivak in the first round. Co-main event of the evening in the lightweight division. We got Rajan Al Ayakinta. He's 14-5. and five. And Dan the Hangman Hooker is 18 and 8. Currently, they got Daniel Hooker minus 165. The comeback on Al Ayakinta is plus 145. Well, Shaq, again, similar to other fights on this card, this did open a pick'em. Interestingly enough, it opened a pick'em with a slight lean on Ayakinta. 
Now it's minus 165 hooker plus 145 Iaquinta. So another flip, but really it's significant action coming towards hooker's way. And I mean, it makes sense. He's relatively close to home you know he's a kiwi he ain't no fake kiwi at all my boy hooker is 100 percent kiwi he's fighting down the street in uh, melbourne australia and uh man he's been looking better than ever but ally kenta he's been stepping up and fighting some tough competition i mean even though he's taking a couple l's we're talking about l's to the champ khabib and to the legend donald cowboy cerrone the future hall of famer so you can't really you can't give him shit for losing the guys like that that being said, you think Ally Kinta gets back on track here in the biggest fight of his life in terms of uh, people attending it? Ally Kinta, he was number four in the world before that uh, Cowboy Cerrone fight. He got that number four rating off of beating Kevin Lee, who got that rating off of beating Edson Barboza. So, you know, that whole little jumble up there, to be honest, quite frankly, I don't think they, neither of those guys were ever in the top five or ever will be in the top five. And Hooker, on the other sense, you know, he was on quite the streak before his Edson fight, knocked out Gilbert Burns in the first round in a great performance, knocked out the legends Jim Miller, Ross Pearson. Um, Ross Pearson also was knocked out by Ally Akinta. He was talking a little bit too much. If you pay close attention, do you see Coach Eugene in his corner in that uh in that Edson Barbosa fight, you know, and you know, he went out there and he just wasn't ready for that top five test and he got in, and he got embarrassed. So both of these guys have had their top five tests. At least Ikenda's made the top five, but both these guys had their top five tests and they failed miserably. Hooker bounced back nicely with the win over Vic, but although it was a, it was a clean knockout, Vic shouldn't be fighting at 155s, and that was pretty much a foregone conclusion at that point. Now he's coming in here versus Ayakenta. Ayakenta coming off a hellacious beating at Cerrone's hands, but they're there's no guarantee that Hooker can implement the game plan at the level that Cerrone can. Now, although I think there's some things that Hooker does a little bit better than Cerrone as in terms of his boxing, I think he might have just, you know, he might use his jab a little bit better. Hooker is prone to to the occasional big shot, and I feel like that's the best thing that Ally Kinta brings to the table. If you stand inside the pocket with him, occasionally there's going to be a big overhand right coming. But for him to throw those overhand rights, you know, I'm seeing a couple things that I feel like Hooker can capitalize on, and, and one of those things is I like Kenta ducks his head down pretty much to start every combo. I mean, he is a shorter lightweight. He does have a shorter reach than most lightweights. I think it's 68 inches. And he's got to duck that head to get on the inside against these tall guys. And he's fighting a guy that's taller than him. But Hooker throws those check knees so beautifully, man. We've seen him use a time in and time out against guys like Jim Miller, uh, Ross Pearson. And it's just a read he goes to a lot to get guys from uh, to stop him from shooting. And, don't, and, you know, I see a lot of people saying that if the stand-up isn't going out, going his way that Ally Kenta is just going to take him down and he'll have the edge there. I'm not, I'm not fully convinced, man, because I recall Gilbert Burns and Hooker hitting the mat and Hooker actually put Gilbert Burns in a in a, in a very threatening choke and Burns had to respect him, man. Uh, Gilbert Burns is a serious black belt. He's out here beating uh, Gunnar Nelson. And what about the Mark DeCasey fight? You know, DeCasey was coming in real aggressive in that third round. What happened when DeCasey tried to shoot in? My boy Hooker wrapped that neck up and it was still in. I've seen Ally Kenta tap several times. I mean, all, pretty much all his losses. But You're but, talking about the guy that Mitch Clark finished? Yeah. I mean, I'm not convinced about this big ground edge for Ally Akinta, <laughs> you know. So I think this is going to be a stand-up fight. I have a lot of respect for the toughness of Ally Akinta. I think that he's a dog. I think he's a tough guy. And if he's able to land an overhand right and knock Hooker out, props to him. I just see this matchup favoring Hooker. Uh, I just see that I feel like the knees are going to be there. I feel like if he keeps us at distance, I feel like he should be able to pick apart Ally Akinta. Or just eventually a big shot will land either a straight, like how he landed against Gilbert Burns, or one of those knees. I feel like 
the only way Al is going to be able to to win rounds is either by dropping him multiple times or knocking him out. And I and I just don't see that happening. I feel like Hooker's too high level of a striker. But as from the betting perspective, minus one sixty five Hooker. I could be wrong. Hooker really hasn't shown that he can swim with the with the top six or seven like that. But I I do see the talent. He has shown glimpses of it against guys relevant guys like Gilbert Burns. You know, I like Kenta got his ranking by beating a washed up bum by the name of Kevin Lee. So, you know, uh, he did beat George Masvidal, you know, in a, in a very uh, controversial decision. Like, I bet I can to that fight, and I, I try to give my money back, and they wouldn't take it. But ultimately, what I'm getting to is I have a lot of respect for Alec Kinsa, so I probably won't take the minus 160 just because I could be wrong. The kid is a dog, and he's tough. But out of the two fighters, I just see Hooker translating better down the line, and I currently think he's currently talent more talented than Ally Kenta. And personally I just feel like Ally Kenta's best days are behind him. I'm not saying that he's gonna fall off the, the face of the earth and get out of the rankings. I think he'll maintain his rankings, but I think it'll just be more in the sense of the bottom half of the top fifteen, you know. So I will go with Hooker. I think he's the, the better fighter currently. I feel like he's the more talented fighter. He's at home. But you know, I got a lot of respect for Al, but I think this matchup favors Hooker. Man, it's going to be one hell of a lightweight matchup in the co-main event at Marvel Stadium in Melbourne, Australia. And, man, I, I agree with you. You know, I said that Ally Kinta being ranked number four in the world was complete bullshit. You're telling me beating Kevin Lee means you're top, five, you're top four in the world? I I just don't see it, man. And Because you, you're seeing these guys like Islam Makachev is ranked 14, Charles Dubronx, 12, Gregor Gillespie, 11. You're telling me these guys wouldn't beat uh, Ally Kenta? What about Diego Ferreira, who's not even ranked? You're telling me he wouldn't go out there and beat Ally Kenta? Because he absolutely would, by the way. And that's no disrespect. I like Ali. He's, a, he's an exciting fighter. But the fact that he got to number four in the world off beating Kevin Lee? I mean, ask Al's opinion of Kevin Lee. He thinks Kevin Lee's the biggest joke in the world. So me and Al agree on that. So how the hell does beating a big joke make you number four in the world? I just don't get it. And as far as Dan Hooker, you know, he did pull the young stunt in the Edson fight, not just in the fight itself. All, all credit to Edson, but in the lead up, he was pulling the young stunt when, you know, the, the legend letdown, when you, uh, you know, the Alex Perez, Joseph Benavides, the James Vic, Justin Gaethje, he was pulling one of those and he had to go out there and get the Alex Hernandez, Donald Cerrone. You know what I'm saying? You guys seen it so many times. He was pulling that. He had to go out there and get his lesson. But since that point, comes back, knocks out Vic in the first round. And we can say Vic doesn't belong at 55. I 100% agree. I, I told Vic on half the battle in 2016 that he should move up to 170 pounds for all those wondering. But he still went out there and got that knockout win, and that's going to elevate his confidence back to know that, hey, I, I do belong in this top 15 of the lightweight division because the Edson fight could have made him be like, fuck, you know, maybe I just don't belong because that was a thorough, that was that was a whitewash. That was a mauling, but man, he got it back together, got that knockout. Now here with Ally Akinta, this is going to be a hell of a fight. I, I do think Hooker's the more well-rounded fighter, interestingly enough. I think people disagree with me on that, but what I see from Ayakinta is he's a decent boxer. Occasionally, he'll mix in head kicks and... You know, a decent jujitsu, some good leg lock attacks, but really it's about the boxing. And if he can counter a nice overhand here, a big left hook, you know, that counter straight right, maybe he can put down a guy like Hooker. Maybe he can even try to break him down with leg kicks. But the thing is, Al loves to duck his head down. 
And Hooker's timing on those knees is something serious. And we can say, oh, he's going out here knocking out Ross Pearson and Jim Miller and much respect to both those legends. But, you know, they currently aren't top 15 guys. What about Gilbert Dorino Burns, man? What about Mark DeCasey? You know what I'm saying? He's out here stopping real legitimate guys. So I, I don't think that, you know, it's just when he fights old guys, he stops them. He stops young guys too, guys. So, But as far as his matchup is concerned, what I think – Hooker needs to look out for is Hooker has a bit of that tall man's defense. Historically throughout his career, he is hittable. I do think his distance has gotten significantly better at 155 pounds now that he can think in there. You know, the weight cuts aren't killing him like they used to. But man, when that knee up the middle lands, I'm very curious to see if Al goes down, if Al gets dropped. We saw Al get dropped with a big knee up the middle his last fight. Granted, Donald Cerrone might be on a completely different level than Dan Hooker, but Dan Hooker, the way he's been mixing it up, uh, his entire array of strikes, that left hook he hit on Vic where he faked him out with the right, then went to the left. That, that was beautiful. That was like some Max Holloway step-through type shit, man. Uh, I, I really liked what I saw from Hooker there. And I, Kenta, I personally thought he should have taken some more time off after the bludgeoning to the hands of Donald Cerrone. And they call it a decision, but I, I call that a knockout. You know what I mean? Uh, you, you guys remember that front kick to the face. You guys remember that knee up the middle. So much respect to the New York real estate agent, but I'm going with Dan Hooker here for the win. As far as the betting, honestly, even though I'm picking Hooker, it, it's dog or pass at this current line, man. I'm not laying no minus 160. I think the opening line, you know, more towards a pick em. maybe a slight lean on Hooker, okay, but now at this line, it's dog or pass, so I would just go ahead and pass. But that being said, my pick is Dan Hooker to get the win. Main event of the evening for the middleweight belt. We got the champ, Robert the Reaper Whitaker. He's 20-4. and four. And the interim champ, Israel the Last Stylebender Adesanya, is 17-0. Currently, they got Israel Adesanya minus 115 and Robert Whitaker is minus 105. So it's a pick em with a slight lean on Israel Adesanya. It originally opened minus 150 for the champ Whitaker. Now, a lot of the talk, Shaq, has been about Whitaker's inactivity, about his injuries, about this and that, about his mental health. But my whole thing is we've seen him off layoffs before and he's still gone out there and won the fight. So that being said, this is a completely different opponent in Israel Adesanya. I mean, it's funny to say new generation versus old because Robert Whitaker is the younger fighter here. But Israel's only been in the UFC slightly over a year. You think Israel Adesanya is ready to come out here and dethrone the great Robert Whitaker, or is it first L time? Man, this is going to be a great fight. Robert Whitaker, he had that great run. Uh, I mean, he beat Uriah Hall. I remember when he was out here getting losing decisions to Court McGee, then he moves up to 185, and the run he went on was nothing short of spectacular. He KO'd Brad Tavares, stiff. That fight, of the, that fight of the night with our homeboy, uh, Clint Hester, uh, that was a great fight in Australia as well. Then he uh, fought Uriah Hall, won that fight. The Jacare performance, then the tall performance, and then the two Yoel fights. And now, in the two Yoel fights, in, the, in, those, in that first Yoel fight, shout out to Yoel, dude's a... Dude's a dog, but we know that Yoel has a very passive style. We know that Yoel at times will stop throwing completely. We know that Yoel will concede rounds at time. And Yoel actually in the first fight got up to a two-round start and then <laughs> somehow lost the last three rounds when Rob was on one knee <laughs> hopping, hobbling around. And then in the second fight, you know, people think it's controversial. I scored three rounds for, for Rob Whitaker. Rob was just able to land the more volume. He got up to a lead to a point where that even with the knockdowns, he was so far up that... That it just quite wasn't enough to uh to win on points and that's pretty much all Yoel's fault but in terms of the damage sustained 
I mean, uh, you know, there's no question. Who took more damage <laughs> there's no that. question who, who was more concussed. You know what I'm saying? Um, since since then, he's been he's been gone. He was supposed to fight Kelvin uh, Gastelum, and it was kind of funny. I actually had a bet on Kelvin going into that fight, uh, but Rob had to pull out with the, the the hernia issues. And the real thing is, before that fight, I had a respect for Whitaker. I think he's a great champion, but I saw him as more of one of the more vulnerable champions. You know, and that was the main issue was because he fights with his hands completely down, and he just and he was coming off all that damage against Yoel Romero and when after those after that second fight I said that I have a good feeling that maybe Yoel and Rob might not be the same after this fight which led me to bet on Paolo Costa against Yoel in, in their uh, most recent fight here recently and he did lose that fight so now Rob's coming back and now he's fighting Adesanya so Adesanya got the reach advantage if he stands in front of Rob this is pretty much going to be a game of is Whitaker going to land the, the, the big left hook and is he just going to go down or is uh, Adesanya just going to stay at range pick him apart with that jab eventually find homes for the two the straight twos after that and to be honest i don't think there's anybody in the middleweight division with cleaner punches than adesanya and his, his striking iq is just beyond the charts and it's and it's like the leaps he makes from fights to fight every time people saying is this too much you know going into the Tavares fight all the all the action in the world was coming in on Tavares in that fight people were like i don't know if he's ready for brad and I mean, was he ready for Brad? <laughs> Fuck, was he ready for Brad? We ain't heard from Brad since. <laughs> Fuck, was he ready for Brad? I mean, he put Brad in the fucking hospital, bro. And then uh, his fight, uh, even the Vittori fight. But then after Tavares, he goes in there against Brunson when he's lined at minus 260. He handles Brunson very accordingly. I know Rob did all these things as well. There's been an active guy and there hasn't been. And I'm not bringing in the, the active because I, I don't want to get into all that but just in terms of the skill set in terms of who I think is going to be ready to go from the opening bell on Saturday night I think it's going to be Israel Adesanya I think he's going to use his distance stick that jab in Robert Whitaker's face and it's going to like I said be a game of Kenny land that left hook or a big shot upstairs and knock him out but if that doesn't happen I see Israel Adesanya landing the cleaner shots and not even landing the cleaner shots I see him reacting to the shots better because look we can sit here and say that that Rob got with it Rob got hurt against OL, but Israel also got got hurt against Kelvin Gasselman. Kelvin Gasselman might have the appearance of a smaller 185er, but I'll tell you what, if that kid hits you on the chin, just ask Michael Bisping, ask, uh, I mean, ask, ask, an, ask anybody, if that kid hits you on the chin, don't be Ask every middleweight he's fought. He's got a 100% knockdown rate. He drops. He has dropped every middleweight that he has fought. So I think there's honestly not that much shame into it. And I actually thought his composure in that fight, for a guy that was coming off a fight against Bron Bronson and Anderson Silva, the composure he had in that fight was remarkable because, for I mean, he was getting better as that fight. After the fourth round, look at the fucking fifth round he puts in, bro. You ever seen a fifth round like that in a title fight? I mean, I thought, for a second, I thought Kelvin was dead. <laughs> I mean, there were some people in the crowd that legit thought that, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, uh... It was, a, it was a sight to see. So I, I just side with uh, Adesanya just because I feel like he is just flat out the better striker here. I feel like he's just in a better spot mentally. I feel like Whitaker's a guy where before his last fight, I felt like the, the pressure was getting. I'm not saying he pulled out because of that, but I just felt like the pressure was getting to him a little bit. I do have just some concerns on whether he's going to be able to take that type of damage after the Yoel, the Yoel Romero fight. I mean, what's happened after that Yoel Romero fight? He's been sick the entire time. So I got a lot of respect for him. I 
it would not shock me if he came out here and got the knockout, but I just feel like the recipe is brewing for Israel to get this win here, and uh, and I think it's going to happen. Generally, I would be on the, on because the, it looks like Whitaker is trending to close as a dog. Generally, I, I would take the champ as the dog, but in this particular situation, I just have some doubts about Rob Whitaker's health that... Uh, that I just got I gotta go with Israel here, so I'll take Israel to become the and uh, the undisputed middleweight champion and eventually get that fight with Johnny Bones Jones. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, not only does Israel have a seven-inch reach advantage here, he knows how to use his reach, which is one of the most important things you can do. And guess what? Robert Whitaker knows how to close distance. So in the early going, it's going to be absolute chaos. The difference here is that. Robert fights the entire fight with his hands down, and Israel does too to an extent, but Israel knows, I mean, they both got great distance, but statistically speaking, Israel does get hit less than Rob Whitaker, and what I think is that, oh shit, you're telling me Charles Dubronx is fighting Jared Gordon? <laughs> is that a misprint? <laughs> oh man. Max <laughs> What kind of line are we getting there? No, but uh, just dangle off his neck, Charles. No, but uh, Rob knows how to close a distance. Rob is very deceptively fast, and I felt like him. He was one of the original guys to move up from welterweight to eighty fives back when dudes were moving up weight classes and having success. Remember when Dustin Poirier moved from forty five to fifty five? Goes on a big streak. Ends up winning the interim belt. Kelvin Gastelum makes it to UFC title shot. Robert Whitaker ends up winning gold. So a lot of these guys moving up, they did really well. And Rob was one of the first ones to do that. I mean, he said at 170, like, the weight cuts were messing up his hearing. I mean, the guy's going out there getting dropped by Court McGee. You understand what I'm saying? So he had to move up to, to 185. And since that point, look what he's done, man. He's an unbelievable champion. One of my all-time favorite fighters. A money train for me like crazy. But let's be honest about who we were beating in the money train era. We were beating Jacare Souza, who I love and respect, but, you know, is 40 years old. And, you know, got, got guys along that line. Brad Tavares, you know. But Israel Adesanya, on the other hand, I think he brings something completely different and fresh and unique to the table. I think he actually can stand up and strike with a guy like Robert Whitaker, which other people haven't been able to do in the past. But the biggest difference here is that I think that when Robert is fighting with his hands down, I think that when one of those straights hits him on the chin, man, I really do see him getting significantly hurt. I mean, we saw him wobbling all over the place with Yoel, but the thing is, Yoel likes to chill, 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 and then he'll burst out of nowhere. He likes to do absolutely nothing and then burst, whereas Israel can pepper you the entire time, and if he gets you hurt, he's not going to try to rush you and blow his load and throw a wing a couple overhands and hope he puts you down. He's going to precisely finesse you and throw something down the pipe, set you up, faint, fake you out, and you're not going to see it coming. And I think somewhere in uh, maybe the maybe the late first, maybe the second, maybe the third, I do think Israel Adesanya puts the great Robert Whitaker down and wins the belt. And another thing I want to say, I love Robert Whitaker. I'm a huge fan. But one thing I've noticed about a lot of these champions, you'll hear a lot of champions talk about uh, after they lose the belt, they felt a tremendous relief and like a big weight was lifted off their shoulders because being a champion is a completely different pressure than just being a fighter. And I could be wrong. This could be all speculation. Maybe Robert Whittaker comes out here and knocks out Israel Adesanya. And I look like a total idiot for saying this. But I have a personal belief, and this is what I think, 
that Robert Whitaker is one of those guys that doesn't really dig the, the championship pressures. He doesn't like being a champion anymore. And someone's going to be like, he doesn't like being a champion. He doesn't like holding a belt around. Like, what do you mean he doesn't like being the best in the world? That's not what I mean, guys. Being a champ comes with an extra pressure. You have a magnifying glass on you. Everybody watches your every move. You have no privacy anymore. You're in the limelight constantly. I don't think Rob Whitaker is that kind of guy. I think he's kind of over it, man. Even Matt Hughes was like, dude, when I lost that belt, it was like the biggest relief of my life. I thanked BJ Penn for beating me. Rose Namajunas said that shit. Anderson Silva thanked Weidman for beating him. Like after, And these are long-reigning champions we're talking about. Not Rose, but, but Anderson Silva was. Matt Hughes was. And even though Whitaker hasn't officially defended his belt, and that's because Yoel missed weight, not, not for any other reason, I have the suspicion that the pressure of being the champ, he, he just don't like it, man. He, he wants to be a low-key guy. But stylistically speaking, I think that if he doesn't knock out Israel with a leaping left hook or his sneaky high kick, I think he's in for a long night. And it, it's always scary siding on the side. It's always scary being on the side that everyone's action is on and in terms of a pick, you know, I don't. That doesn't make me feel good that you know he was the underdog and now he's the favorite. So you know, from a betting perspective, unless you feel like you have a serious edge, maybe consider passing and just sit back and enjoy such an incredible fight between two champions. That's what I'm gonna do. But my official pick is Israel Adesanya to come out here, defeat the great Robert Whitaker, and become the undisputed UFC middleweight champion. And I think that after he wins this fight, if he does indeed go out there and win, holy shit, the superstar he's gonna become and. He's, he also has some things that he's going to tell everybody that it's going gonna, it's gonna to put the MMA world on its side. So I can't wait for all that shit to happen. But my pick is Israel Adesanya. Well, Shaq, we got to tell him about our sponsor, Flav. Make sure you hit up Flav at flavcbd.com. The best CBD products on the market. Loving my blueberry gummies right now. Got the pineapple, the mango, all on point. Make sure we're ready mentally for these fights Saturday. Hit up our boys at Flav right now. Well, Shaq, let's talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch? For UFC 243. My fight to watch is going to be Diego Lima versus Luke Juma. Luke Juma, we haven't seen him in a long time. He's a Kiwi. He's fighting at home. And Diego Lima just got a new UFC contract. It seems like he's putting things together. This is uh, all the makings of a big showdown. Possibly someone may go to sleep here or someone may get severely outclassed in front of their uh, their family. So, you know, I feel like th that's my fight to watch. It's going to be a hell of a fight. But for me, my fight to watch is the co-main event of the evening between two talented top 15 strikers and Ally Kenta and Dan Hooker. I think that this is that fight where these two are going to stand and bang until one man falls. And if this does go all three rounds, I think it's going to be a serious war where heavy leather is exchanged. And the winner is going to take that next step up the ranking. So I can't wait to see what happens. Dan Hooker versus Ally Kenta is my fight to watch. Well, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC Melbourne? My fighter to watch is going to be a surprising one. It's Megan Anderson. Look, this girl <laughs> was supposed to fight Cyborg oh, and man. this and that. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> and their first two fights have gone so badly that she is dead. She has to win this fight. Or, I don't know if she's going to get cut, but I mean, I wouldn't be shocked. She needs a win in Australia. At least, they're, you know, they're putting her on her home turf to get a win. But win or lose, this girl, uh, if she wins, it's most likely going to be a KO. But uh, if she loses, it's going to be a, it's gonna be an epic, epic stun. And I mean, <laughs> don't be shocked if you see James Krause in the, in the team like this uh, in the with the face bomb. Like, no, Megan. <laughs> Megan, wait. <laughs> and so, you know, she's my fighter to watch. She's supposed to be giving up to all this hype, and she hasn't done that. So... This if she's ever gonna start, this is a, this is the time on Saturday, and, and she needs this one bad. And man, I, I just want to see how those weight cuts are going, cause 
I, word on the street is that this chick walks around 200 pounds. So for her to make 145, <laughs> like, dude, like those weight cuts must take so much out of her. So I can't wait to see how she performs, especially with 40 plus thousand people in attendance. I mean, it's a, my dad, dad gonna be there. Granny, auntie. Uh, it's a different kind of vibe. <laughs> For me, my fighter to watch is Robert the Reaper Whitaker, the UFC middleweight champion. There's been a lot of questions about his health, not just physically, but mentally as well. His inactivity. People are saying that he doesn't have it anymore. And I think that Robert Whitaker, from what I've heard, is that he's in the best shape of his life for this fight. He's actually making gains in the gym. I want to see what he brings to the table. And, you know, you count out a guy like Robert Whitaker and... Oftentimes, he will go out there and knock the other guy out. I mean, I remember when he was plus 205 against Jacare Souza. Now, granted, this is Israel, the last style bender out of Sanya, completely different level. But Robert Whitaker has risen to the occasion before, beat Yoel Romero twice. I want to see exactly what he does here in this massive fight down under. So for that reason, Robert the Reaper Whitaker is my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, we did it. It's going down this Saturday or Sunday if you're in Australia. UFC 243, Israel Adesanya versus Robert Whitaker. Cannot wait. Make sure you get our bets at bestfightpicks.com. Use the promo code MATADOR to save 15% off any package. Shout out to our boy, Emmanuel Matador Sanchez. Just got his next fight announced. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify. Follow me at Best Fight Picks. Follow Shaq at MMA Genius 05. Our Instagram, Best Fight Picks Official. Shaq's Instagram, ShaqBFP. Our newest sponsor, Flav. Go to flavinc.com. Go to flavcbd.com. Make sure you let them know that half the battle sent you. Thank you guys so much for your support. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.